The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. So as we talk about Mark's gospel and we get into Mark's gospel, where does Mark's gospel fit in? I want you to kind of go over to Mark chapter 10 just quickly, and we're not going to look at Mark 10 much, but I want you to kind of get an understanding of what the purpose or the theme verse of Mark uh, is. And in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is having a dialogue with his disciples about greatness. Uh, He's having a dialogue with his disciples about what it means to be on top, what it means to be the best. And I don't know about you, but if Jesus came and talked about leadership and Jesus came and talked about what it means to be great, I would want to listen to that. And Jesus was talking to his disciples and he said to them this. They, they had an improper view of greatness, as many of us do. In the world, greatness is about going to the top. Jesus' kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. Look what he says in verse number 43, John chapter 10. He says in verse number 43, But so shall it not be among you, But whosoever shall be great among you shall be your minister. Then he says, and whosoever you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, even the Son of God, the Son of Man, even God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, didn't come to be served, but he came to be a servant. And he told them that the way to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, or to be the chiefest in God's kingdom, is to be a servant of all. The wonderful thing about Mark's gospel is it presents Jesus from this paradigm. It presents Jesus from this perspective and this picture. John is writing here not to Jews... And that's why there's no lineage in the beginning, like in Matthew, you get this person begat this person, this person begat this person, they trace it all the way back. They're they're leaving to those Jews who are looking for the Messiah. Uh, This is the Messiah he's come from, and here's the bloodlines, because that would have been very important for them. And we don't have the prophecies fulfilled in his birth and his coming and all those things. We don't have those fulfillments, because as Mark is writing here in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's writing primarily to Romans, Gentiles, people who would have not needed that information. It's interesting, the beginning and how it starts and the ending, the ending of Mark's gospel, it ends in an interesting way because it ends this way. There's a Roman centurion at the foot of the cross. He's looking up, and the Roman centurion says this, Surely this was the Son of God. He begins with the statement of, This is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he ends with a Roman centurion looking up at the cross and saying, surely this is the Son of God. And all he's doing in this presentation of the gospel of Mark is trying to show us that God is, Jesus is, who he claimed to be. And he's showing that that to us not through the lens of what he said, but through the lens of what he did. As you study John's Gospels, even in the first chapter, what you're going to see is you're going to see all this action going on. And, you know, Mark doesn't record a lot of the sermons. He kind of goes from from activity to activity. He goes from place to place. One of his favorite words, and you're going to see this over and over and over again in the Gospel, and you can underline it, is the word straightway. It means immediately. He uses the word 41 times in his Gospel. 
It's like he's going straight way here and straight way there. It's immediately, immediately, immediately. It's action, action, action. And the, the book of Mark is such a great book to study and read because of all the action that takes place for us. Because for the Gentiles, where you and I sometimes we struggled and stumbled on understanding what Jesus was speaking about when he was talking about prophecy being fulfilled and where he was speaking to the house of Israel. He was speaking to the Jews about some things. And he spoke in parables and tried to help them understand. For us... Gentiles that don't have all that history, you know what we understand? We understand action. We understand looking at someone's life and seeing what they do with their life. And a matter of fact, that's how we look at people. We look at people not much by what they say, but what they do. And this is a challenging presentation of Jesus to the Gentiles because what they would be looking for in the life of Jesus was not so much the fulfillment, again, of the Old Testament prophecies, but how he challenged them as, as uh, their, their culture. You think about uh, Roman gods. The Roman gods were all like men. They were all uh, in the sense of how they were. They were driven to greatness and to stepping on other people. It was about being served. And greatness was about getting to the place where everybody else served you. But for Jesus, his presentation was no greatness is about getting to the place where you serve everyone. Getting to the place uh, where you are a servant to all is where he is thrusting, if you would, showing us how Jesus embodied that and how not only is Jesus a savior to the Jew, but how many thankful today that Jesus is a savior to the Gentile? That Jesus is the son of God. He's the one who came into the world to save sinners. He's the one that came to be a servant. And he made himself, the Bible says, of no reputation. He took on the form of a servant. He was made and fashioned the likeness of man, the Bible says. He became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And so looking at Jesus through this lens, he begins with a very, very big statement. Think about verse number one. Mark chapter one, verse one. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. What a statement. What a way to begin. I mean, there's some assumptions that are being made, but as we look at who Jesus is this morning, because that's the big question, isn't it? In our world, who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is a lot of things to a lot of people, isn't he? But here's the truth. If you're going to be born again, if you're going to understand and enter into a relationship with God, you must understand who he is. Not in a sense of who you made him to be or who I made him to be. How many know that a lot of people make Jesus to be a lot of things that he's not? A lot of people look to Jesus in a way they want to look to Jesus or they believe on their picture or their paradigm or their religious slant of who Jesus is. It's very important that we understand who Jesus is from the scriptures, not who we understand Jesus is from our culture. In our culture, Jesus Christ is a superstar. In our culture, Jesus Christ is a, is, is a master. Jesus Christ is a teacher. Or Jesus Christ is a fool. Jesus Christ is for the weak. Jesus Christ didn't exist. Well, that's a very foolish statement because even his, historically speaking, we understand that there's enough evidence to prove that Jesus Christ existed, that he was. But you know what Mark is going about to show us? Is that not only Jesus Christ existed historically, but that Jesus Christ was every bit the amount of claims about him in the Gospels, in the Word of God. And he goes to great lengths in the beginning of the Gospel here to tell us this. And he starts off first, and we're going to look at who Jesus is by the evidence that's presented to us in the first 11 verses. And so, number one, we're going to look at what the penman says. 
what the penman says. Notice what he says. John Mark, the penman, he's uh, the apprentice to Peter, young man when Jesus was there in his ministry, not one of the original followers of Jesus Christ or apostles of Jesus Christ, but John Mark. And John Mark is here, and John Mark is writing again to these Romans. This is during a different time where the Lord led him to uh, write this uh, scripture for us. And the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Well, think about it. What is the gospel? The gospel, according to Paul, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. The gospel, literally, that word gospel means, so many times when we say the word gospel, people think about gospel music. Gospel, it's a category, right? In our culture, gospel is a category. Gospel music. You've got rock music, country music, gospel music. Gospel is not so much a category as it is in our culture, is what he's referring to is gospel is good news. Gospel is good news. He's saying here, I've got good news. This is the beginning of the good news. The gospel, as the uh, New Testament presents to us, is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. In other words, if I receive the gospel or the good news, here's the good news. Jesus came, he, he was God in the flesh, he took on human flesh, and why did he do that? Well, he did that because someone had to pay the price for humanity's sinfulness, and none of us could do it. We all fell short of the glory of God, as Romans would tell us. Jesus Christ took on human flesh, he lived a sinless life, he was born of a virgin, he lived a sinless life, and he did so for the purpose of dying on the cross. Now, this gets confused along the way because even his disciples, as Jesus explained this to him, didn't get it. Jesus stops, and if you look at Mark's gospel, he has three conversations with his disciples about the fact that he's going to die. But what they didn't get is why he came. They first didn't get who he was, and then they didn't get why he came. And in the end, it kind of it, it comes together And they understand, but they're still at the end of Mark's gospel running in fear. And there's this tail off, this drop off. And really the ultimate ending of of Mark's gospel leaves us with this cliffhanger. And the cliffhanger is intended to bring us to the point of saying this to ourselves. Who do I believe Jesus is? Who do I believe Jesus is? I, I hear what Mark says. I hear what these others say. I hear the centurion in the end, what he said. But who do I believe Jesus is? That's an important question for us. Who is Jesus? Well, according to Mark, he is Jesus Christ. Well, that's an important question. That's an important uh, statement because how many know that Christ is not Jesus' last name? Some people think that. If you thought that, that's okay. I'm not not trying to make fun of you, but a lot of people, they think Jesus Christ, that Jesus' first name, Christ is his last name. Christ was in office. The word Christ is interchangeable with the Jewish word Messiah. He is the promised one, the prophesied one, the one that would come. It's an office that the Jews were looking to be filled by the prophesied one. And so they were looking for someone to take this office of Messiah. When you put the name Jesus in front of the name Christ, you're literally saying Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus has taken up, fulfilled and, and taking the office of that prophesied, promised one, he fulfills the office. He is the Messiah. He's the promised one. 
And so in Mark's statement, he's saying this is the beginning of the good news, the beginning of the gospel. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Boy, what a great statement. He's the Messiah. And he says this. He says, Jesus Christ, he says, the Son of God. The Son of God. You know, as you look at this, he's, he's not necessarily just talking about Jesus being the Son of God, but, uh, but he's talking about the fact that Jesus, his, his, uh, his standing, his, his purpose, his point of coming is to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament, yes, but also to be the Son of God, God, the one God, the only true God, the one true God over all gods, over all, in all places and all times, that he is the God and he is the only begotten of God. You think about how John presents that. He says, he says um, in John chapter, 3, 6, John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world, what? That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I want you to think about that is what the penman says. He says, he says, here's the beginning of the gospel. It's of Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's about the Son of God. This is what it's all about. It's about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's what the good news is all about. The good news is not about you. The good news is not about me. The good news is about Jesus. The gospel, the subject of the good news is Jesus Christ. You know uh, how you know that someone is preaching another gospel? When they change the subject. When the gospel becomes about something other than Jesus Christ or somebody added to Jesus Christ, or something added to Jesus Christ, it becomes another gospel. It becomes some other news. It's not the news that he's talking about here. Think about how many people say, yes, it's Jesus, but it's also this. Yes, it's Jesus, but it's also the church. Yes, it's Jesus, but it's also your works. Yes, it's Jesus, but it's also the saints. Yes, it's Jesus, but it's also his mother Mary. You fill in the blank with whatever people like to add to uh, who you need to rely on in addition to Jesus. But here's the truth. Anything added to Jesus pollutes the gospel. Because the gospel is Jesus Christ. It's nothing else. It's Jesus Christ. He's the subject of the gospel. He is the, 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 uh, the one that gives us the gospel, the good news. He's why we can receive the gospel. But as many as received him, the Bible says, in John. To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Here's the truth this morning. No church can save any soul. No priest or pastor or man in authority and spiritual position can forgive any sin. Uh, uh, No good works can make you good enough for God to receive you. It's It's impossible. Because here's the truth. In order for God to let you into heaven, you would have to be perfect. So you fall short no matter how many good works you've done. And no matter how, how much the church approves of the things you do and the lifestyle that you have. But here's the truth. You don't have to be perfect because you can't be perfect. You just have to believe that Jesus Christ was perfect. You have to believe that he was sinless. You're not sinless. I'm not sinless. But you have to believe that he was. And you have to believe that what he did for you is enough to save you. In other words, it's not anything added to it. I know that sounds really basic and simple, but the gospel is really basic and simple. It's not complicated. It's meant to tell us that we have a basic problem. Let's be honest. All of us have this problem. We all have sin problem. And so we need the Son of God. We need the Savior. 
We need Jesus Christ. There's a need for good news because there's some really bad news. And the bad news is, is that we're all sinners and we're condemned because of it. And we're, if, if, if we died in our sins, the Bible says that our eternal position would be separation from God in a horrible place called hell. That doesn't bring me any joy to bring you that news. But I tell you that it's wonderful to give that news when the, the opposite, the, the reverse of that, that, that situation, that position that you're in can be easily reversed by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so he's saying here, what he says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's look at number two as he lays out some, some proofs for us. Not only what the penman says, but number two, what the prophet says. What the prophet says. Look at verse number two. It says, as it is written in the prophets. Now, you can go to three places to get where this is written. The first place is Exodus. The second place is Malachi. But the third place, and the most significant place, and the one that's underlined here in the verses that follow, is Isaiah. Isaiah, in their day, would have been the one that they looked to as a greater prophet. He was not a minor prophet. He was a major prophet. He was, he was someone who God used to prepare, if you would, in the Old Testament or prophesy in the Old Testament people for the coming of the Messiah. Isaiah 40 and verse 3 is quoted by all four Gospels with reference to John the Baptist as a forerunner of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 3, Mark chapter 1 verse 3, Luke chapter 1 verse 76, and John chapter 1, verse 23, all mention Isaiah's prophecy. And the Isaiah quotation, verse number 3, is, is really kind of the defining element here. He's saying, this, this Jesus that's coming, it's written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Who's he talking about? Well, he's not talking about as much the messenger as the one that, who the messenger is going to prepare for. He's going to prepare for the coming of the Lord, the coming of the Son of God, the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so he's kind of saying, hey, listen, not only do I give testimony that Jesus is the Son of God, but the prophecy says that Jesus is the Son of God, because now the proof is in who comes after John the Baptist. John the Baptist is here on the scene, and so the the prophet agrees that Jesus is the Son of God. We could go back into Isaiah, and there's a lot of places in Isaiah, but listen, Isaiah 53 is such a wonderful passage of Scripture to read and understand that Jesus is who he said he was, that Jesus is the Son of God. You see so many correlations to uh, Jesus Christ, his crucifixion, the way that he died with Isaiah chapter uh, 53. And all through uh, the Old Testament, we see these things pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so not only do we have what the penman says and what the prophet says, But notice next what the preacher says. What the preacher says. Look at uh, verses 7 and 8. The preacher, this is John, verse 6. He was clothed with camel's hair, the girdle of skin, his loins. He's introduced here by Mark as the one who's preparing the way, the prophesied one, the one the prophets mentioned who was going to come. And notice what the preacher says. He says in verse number 7, he's preaching... There cometh one mightier than I after me. The latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Now it's interesting because in Matthew, Jesus called John the Baptist the greatest of all the prophets. He said there was none 
greater than John. But you know what John's saying? Yes, there's one greater than me. John is saying, although that my office, and I don't know necessarily in the sense of the greatness of John as a man, but the greatness of the office, the greatness of the, 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 uh, the prophet position that John had, John was literally the forerunner to the Messiah. He was the one preparing the way in that day, in that, modern, in that time, when Jesus was going to be seen. You think about when John was on the uh, this, this side of uh, the Jordan River there and he was baptizing, and you think about that time where he pointed to Jesus. What did he say? Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. He identified Jesus Christ the Messiah. You think about how we know that John believed this. There was a time where John, remember he made, made mention, he said, about Jesus, he must increase, I must decrease. My ministry is going to disappear. And boy, I don't know if he knew how soon it was going to happen because it was almost immediately after that that John's ministry went to nothing, that John was arrested and eventually beheaded. And right before his beheading, he's there in prison. And you know what he's asking? He's a little bit, he, we see the humanity of John. He sends a messenger to Jesus. He says, are you the one or should we be looking for another? And John, I don't know about if you were in a position where you were about to die for preaching, if you were about to die for your faith, if you were about to die for your position, well, you'd want to be sure that what you were believing in, putting all your faith and trust in, was authentic. Boy, Jesus sent a message back to him. He said, oh, John, you know. John, you know. You understand. There's not another to look for. But John, listen, John went to his death for Jesus Christ. He went to his death, understand, yes, I know Herod beheaded him, all those things. But John was in a position where he was preaching Jesus Christ and the coming of Christ, identified Jesus. What, a, what an awesome position to be in because here in the book of Mark, what do we get? We get immediately the ministry, the servanthood of Jesus Christ. As soon as Mark's gospel begins, Jesus comes on the scene. He's a 30-year-old man. We don't hear about the past. We don't hear about these things. We hear about Jesus' ministry right away because this is where Jesus' ministry began. And what did it begin with? Well, it began with John baptizing Jesus. Now, let me give a little excerpt on baptism. We're going to have baptism this morning. Because some people teach wrong or believe wrong about baptism. Let me just say what it's not. Baptism does not wash away sins. Baptism does not wash away sins. Uh, Jesus was baptized of John. Did he have any sins to wash away? Jesus was sinless. There was no need for baptism to wash away sins because Jesus was sinless. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was here being an example for us, yes. But Jesus was not baptized for the washing away of sins, and neither are you and I. Our sins are washed away by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven by His blood and by His sacrifice. Baptism also is not to receive the Holy Spirit. The reception of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, is what happens in the moment that every believer trusts Jesus Christ. You don't have to receive the Holy Spirit after you've been saved. The Bible says that every believer is sealed by the Holy Spirit to the day of redemption, that every believer is indwelled by the Holy Spirit at the moment of their salvation. So there's not another baptism. The baptism of the Spirit is the baptism that Jesus talked about in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. 
Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. Hey, listen, there's going to come a time where, hey, you're born of that which is born of water and of the Spirit. You talk about being born of the Spirit. Here's the truth. If you've ever been born again, if you put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you've believed on Him, you've repented of your sins and believed on Jesus Christ, you've received Him, uh, you know what happens? You have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. There's not a need for a baptism of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, there's a need for the filling of the Holy Spirit in your life. God tells us to be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. But how many know that every believer possesses the presence of the Spirit in their life? The Holy Spirit of God. Isn't that the witness within us that says we're the children of God? Your spirit bears witness with my spirit that we're the children of God. But the Holy Spirit of God gives a witness within us that we're His children to us, the Bible says. And so we understand that when Jesus came to be baptized, Jesus was being an example to us that we might, as the Bible says, follow in His steps. But Jesus is now here providing an opportunity for his ministry to be validated and identified, not through the baptism of John, but from what comes next. Notice, number one, what the penman says. Number two, what the prophet says. Number three, what the preacher says. But number four, what the parent says. What the parent says. Look at verse number nine. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan... And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, thou art my beloved, what? Son, in whom I am well pleased. How do we know whose voice it was? Well, because of what he called Jesus. You're my son. So who's this the voice of? This is the voice of the father. This is the voice of the parent or the one who Jesus came from. How many know that Jesus came from God? He was begotten of God. He's the only begotten Son of God. Now, here's the truth. Some people would like to mean that that means that Jesus is lesser than God. But Jesus clarified that for us in the Gospels. Then the I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus was a translation of God to us. He was the, if you would, the, the parent sent the Father, sent the Son. But we also see the presence here of the Holy Spirit, don't we? The Holy Spirit here is descending like a dove, and we see God the Father, we see God the Son, we see God the Holy Spirit. All three are present there in this picture at Jesus' baptism, and what are they all saying? This is the Son of God. This is the promised one. Here's the eyewitness account. These are people that saw this. These are people that heard this. These are people that experienced this. I love what John says when you read the uh, epistles of John in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. He says, these are the things that we have touched with our hands. We've handled them. These are things which our eyes have seen. These are things which our ears have heard. I love that God is giving us an introduction to him through his word, preserved writings, which, by the way, is interesting that today, that people love to say, well, if you're going to prove who Jesus is, you can't use the Bible. Well, that's like saying if you're going to prove what this scientific uh, theory exists, you can't use the textbook. You can't use any of what was written before. How many know that the evidence that we have, and one of the major evidences we have that Jesus is who he says he is, is because we still have the word today. Against all odds, we have God's word. I mean, that is a huge bit of proof and evidence that we would be very foolish to overlook, and some people love to just discount and loosely just cast it off. Well, those are just man's writing. Those are just man's writing. Those are just man's writing. Well, it's clear that they're not just man's writings. 
Because there's been a lot of man's writings that have gone away, but we have this. We still have this. This is, this is here for our learning. This is here uh, as a testimony, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the word of God. What a testimony. What a word for us to be able to see and understand. And here's the truth. If someone is going to believe that Jesus is someone other than what the Bible presents him to be, they're going to have to do that at the face of denying all of this evidence. They're going to have to look at it and say, well, I just don't, I refuse to believe that. I don't want to believe that evidence. I don't want to believe what's presented before me. I don't want to believe what the Bible says. I don't want to believe what these eyewitness accounts have said. I don't want to believe what the fulfillment of prophecy says. I mean, because there's no denying the fact that the age of the writing of the Old Testament prophets is well predating the presence of Christ on the earth, and that all that prophecy is fulfilled in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can look at that, and you can say, well, you know, that's just coincidence. But can I tell you, there's a whole lot of coincidences in here. But what we like to say is they're not coincidences. They're just truth. It's just fact. It's not coincidence. It's fact. It's over and over and over again as we study and read the Word of God. The more you read, the more you study God's Word, the more that you're convinced that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. And then here's the the greatest thing for people who like to say that Jesus was just a good man. And now you've probably heard this before, but how many know that good people don't walk around saying they're God? Good people don't walk around claiming to be God. So if he's just a good man and he's not God, then he's a lunatic and he's a liar. Because good people don't walk around saying, I'm God. And if Jesus was just a good man, then he was a liar. And he's not a good man at all because he claimed to be God. And if he's not God, then he's a lunatic and he's a liar. And you can't have the middle ground of saying, yeah, Jesus is a good prophet. He's just a good man. Because there are the religions that say Jesus is just a prophet. Jesus is just a prophet. Or there's some cults that say that Jesus is the brother of Lucifer. That Jesus is another created being, another angel. You know, there's all kinds of things that people say. They believe that Jesus is. And interesting, all these People believe that Jesus is. They just say different things about him. I like what Jesus, when he came to his disciples, he said this. He said, who do people say that I am? He said, well, some say you're a teacher, and some say you're a prophet, and some say you're Elijah. Jesus said, well, who do you say that I am? Peter looked at Jesus. He said, thou art the Christ the Son of the living God. What did Jesus say to him? He said, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. You know, here's the truth. No matter all the presentation that you can be given, no matter all the evidence that could be presented to you today, unless the Holy Spirit of God shows you that all of this is true, you're not going to believe it anyway. Because the Holy Spirit of God is the one that reveals to us that the Word of God is true. He's the one that shows us. Can you remember, if you're a Christian today, if you've been born again, can you remember the day that you believed that Jesus was who the Bible says he was? Can you remember that? I don't know necessarily that it was because someone really analytically presented the the data to you. Maybe you had heard it. Maybe you had studied it. Maybe you were reading the Bible for yourself, and then someone presented to you Jesus. But there was just something in here that affirmed to you that what you were hearing was true. And you agreed with it. 
Have you ever had that happen? If you haven't, that's what you need. You need to be born again by God's Spirit. The Spirit of God takes the Word of God, He puts it in our hearts. I've heard some people articulate listening to preaching this way. I heard somebody recently, just new to our church, they said, Pastor, I've only come a few times, I've never heard the presentation this way, but this is the way he articulated. He said, it was like what you were saying that was from the Word was going into my heart, and I was getting emotional about it, and I'm not even emotional, and I didn't even understand it, but what you were saying was going in here. You know what I understand? That doesn't have anything to do with me, nothing at all. It has to do with what's being presented, the truth, and what God promises to bless. God promises when we give the truth, when we offer the truth, when we deliver the truth, that he'll do what we can't do. See, if it's all up to me this morning, we are having a failed experience because I'm just man and I'm, a, I'm just a fleshly man. I could just give a talk today. But that's why it's so important that we go to here because this is living, this is live, this is breathing, this is God's word. The Bible says it's, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces and divides the soul and the spirit and the joint and the marrow. It's a discerner of your thoughts and your intentions. Isn't it amazing how the word of God can do that? I'm always amazed when people come up and say, God spoke to my heart about this. I'm like, I didn't say anything about that. But that's how God spoke to their heart. Why? Because God has a way of taking his word and applying it to our lives and making it real to us because they're just not words on a page. They lift from the page into our hearts. It's living, it's breathing, it's alive. I'm glad it's not just some dusty old book. I'm glad it's not just a history book or a science book or a song book or a poetry book or a prophetical book. Or I'm, I'm glad that it's not just those things. It is God's inspired word. You know what God does with it? He puts it in our hearts. So here's the question. We heard what the penman says. We hear what the prophet says. We hear what the preacher says. We hear what the parent says, the one who Jesus came from. What do you say? You say, is it important after hearing all that data, what I say? Yes, it is so important and vital to your personal relationship with God. Because this is what the Bible says. God's word says this, but you've got to believe what it says and you've got to say it. And here's the truth. When you believe something, you'll speak. When you believe something, you'll confess it. When you believe something, I mean, it's going to come out of your mouth. You're going to, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this. We don't talk about what we don't believe in. We talk about what we believe in. This is the presentation in Romans. He says this, he says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth Confession is made unto salvation, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What is that? Well, that's, I'll tell you what it's not. It's not one, two, three, repeat after me. Here's a prayer to pray. Pray this prayer, you're saved. It's not that. Not even close. Some people, they really think, hey, listen, and by the way, those of us who grew up Catholic, it's really easy for us to memorize a prayer and pray it, isn't it? We're used to that. Just add another prayer to my prayer book. Just pray another prayer. But here's the truth. God doesn't say there's some magical prayer that you pray 
You have to confess with your mouth Jesus because you believe in your heart Jesus. You believe on Jesus Christ. And what you believe in your heart makes all the difference in the world. Do you believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is? Because if you don't, then you don't know him. That's the truth. I'm not saying do you believe who the church says Jesus is or history says Jesus is or who culture says Jesus is. Do you believe what the Bible says about who Jesus is? Do you believe that? And if you believe that, here's the truth. Here's the thing for you. Have you ever confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart what the Bible says? That's so important. Because here's the truth today, we cannot corporately be saved. You know how we're saved? Individually. We have an individual responsibility to believe on Christ. You can't be in a crowd of people and say, well, everybody in the crowd believes, so so I'm therefore, I'm a Christian. Being in a crowd, being in a church, they say being in a church doesn't make someone a Christian any more than being in a garage makes someone a car. Your geographic location and your association with Christianity doesn't make you a Christian. What makes someone a Christian is if there's been a time in their life where they have heard the truth of what God says about Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God has done a work in their heart about that truth. That's true, that's true. And you've believed on that. Some people choose to reject that. It's sad. But today, you know, when I ask you, if there's never been a time in your life where you have yourself, I'm not saying you didn't just sit in a crowd and listen and say, yeah, I believe that. Have you ever confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus? Say, God, I believe. Nothing else. It's not plus the church. It's not plus my works. It's not plus the saints. It's not plus my prayers. It's not plus my ability to keep things or do things or follow things or be a good citizen or be a good church member. It's not plus anything. It's just what... Jesus has done, and that's it. If you've never done that, let me just invite you today. Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart that God is raised in front. And by the way, um, if I'm talking to you, you know it already. I don't have to convince you. I don't have to contrive this. The Holy Spirit's already done the work in your heart. And you were saying, that's what I need. That's what I need. That's what I need. I need that. I don't need more religion. I I don't need another direction. I don't need another answer. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but by me. There's no other way except Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting why then we understand why there's so many different ways offered in the world today? Because just as God is real, the enemy is real. He desires to steal, kill, and destroy. And from the beginning, his purpose and position has always been deceiver. What does he want to do? Well, he wants to pull people from the truth. So I give him a lot of options, but there's only one way, and his name is Jesus Christ. So we see what the penman says. We see what the prophets say. We see what the preacher says. We see what God says. What do you say? And that is crucial to whether or not you today have a relationship with God or not. You must believe yourself. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, 
please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.